0: from a sales perspective, we have been, to be honest, quite blown away by the um, conversion that these nano micro influencers see. And, you know, they are, they're trusted within their network and they convert usually at a higher rate than our macro partners. So it's formed this really kind of key part of our always on
1: strategy. When it comes to thinking about the world of social advocacy the owned earned, paid flywheel there's got to be either a team that's all defined as to how that works together or a really clear process to be able to be successful
2: word of mouth marketing for us is really what we want to tap into going forward because i do think that as we move more social commerce and everything's online i think an experience is actually a luxury that the customer's going to want to buy into and i think it's what's going to keep them coming back again and again
3: Have you ever wondered why some brands grow exponentially, building legions of passionate fans that live and die by their logos? And some, well, don't. I do, all the time, and that's probably because I'm a massive brand nerd. I believe that there's a secret source at the core of every remarkable brand, a formula that sparks the growth of passionate communities of fans. And in this podcast, we're on a mission to uncover the first principles that any brand can apply to unlock that potential. This includes principles of brand building in a hyper-connected world, maintaining authenticity, and coordinating communities of advocates and fans to drive passion, awareness, community, and commerce. My name is Paul Archer, and I'm a specialist in brand advocacy, having consulted for hundreds of brands on the topic. And in this pod, I interview the greatest brand building minds and share my own learnings along with those of the incredible team of experts that I work with. We will be translating the tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for brand builders to exacerbate their brand success. It's time to build brand advocacy. Right now, we're going to be digging into the beauty world. As we've spoken to, well, quite a lot with TikTok and with Yasso, this is one of the easiest spaces, I'd say, to for social commerce in terms of it's so visual, it's fast-moving, Um, and it's something which is embraced by creators and it's an industry that is or has always been on the cutting edge of um of social commerce and of advocacy so um i know that we sort of mentioned camilla earlier your You were you had advocacy in your job title in 2018 Mm. at Charlotte Tilbury, yeah, uh, which is just just an incredible sort of like, and that sort of shows beauty are on the cutting edge. So really excited to find out what you guys have to say and how we can all learn about what's coming up as well. So, um, would you like to give us a little bit of an intro to who you are? Uh, where you work um and um yeah that would be great hannah do you want to kick us off
0: sure i'm hannah i'm the head of social content at LMS. so my role is really look af- looking after own social and influencer marketing so creating interesting educational entertaining social content whether that's for our owned platform or via creator partners And Camilla, lovely to meet you all. Thank you for
1: being patient with uh, my son as well throughout the day. (laughs) Um, My background is brand advocacy, comms, social, um, mostly in health and beauty. Uh, I've worked at Charlotte Tilbury, Face Gym. Uh, I worked on agency side on 40 brands or so. Um, These days I work for myself as a fractional CMO advising brands at all different stages of life on everything, social advocacy through to brand marketing, etc.
2: Um, and I'm Charlotte, and I'm head of brand marketing for Refi. and the way that I explain that to people is I do all the fun stuff. <laughs> 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 um, but So it's um, brand experience, events, PR, influencer, social, and at the minute, the creative team kind of sit under us as well, but we're just going through quite a lot of growth and change, um, which is really exciting. We've just turned three in November, um, but it feels like I've been there for 10 years. <laughs>
3: oh, can, you, can you just tell <laughs> us a little bit mind. about Refi? if anyone doesn't know about this brand, what you do, and... What's happened over the past 18 months?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been nuts. So, I actually joined the brand in January of 2022. And when I joined, the team that I had in the marketing was one creative manager and one social exec, and that was it. Um, so, we've grown massively. I think I've got a team of 12 now, the business is 70. Um, it's been phenomenal. I think. The reason that it's been so successful, I would say, is because it's a nice like mix of a few different factors. Obviously, a lot of you that know of Refi, um, we are influencer founded. We have two co-founders, one of which is an influencer, and I think we were able to kind of leverage her understanding of the audience. Because the one thing I always say about advocacy in general is, if you don't know your audience, then you're never going to get anywhere. Especially in the content world, we were talking about the content you're creating earlier, Laura, and like you obviously know your audience really well, though, <laughs> to be able to create content that resonates with them. So I think we have that platform to leverage off. But I think what's resonated really with the customer is the products themselves. So obviously we've got a lovely brand aesthetically, it's visually pleasing, but I think what they come back for is the product. What we say is we're not gonna release anything that already exists in the market. We're always looking to fill a gap and we always push for high performance. So they kind of shop with us because of brand. I like to kind of say it's almost like Tinder. So the Mm -hmm. Tinder bio, like the brand is why you're swiping right. And then the reason you're going on the second date is because the product is just so strong. And I think it's that mix that's really taken us from zero to a hundred real quick.
4: It feels like you've been everywhere, especially like last year. And every time I kind of go on LinkedIn, someone's (laughs) done another kind of appreciation post to the brand. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you think the secret sauce is that you guys have done and I suppose the activations that you guys Mm. did last year as well, like how does that convert these brand experiences to advocacy?
2: Yeah, I, I'm such an analogue girly in this digital world, which I know might shock a lot of you. Like I think these live streams and TikTok is kind of the future of commerce, but I think the future of brands is in experience. And I don't think that needs to just be online. I think offline is just as important. I really think that a brand is all about the feeling that we give the customer. And like, I think it's really hard to walk away from the TikTok piece of content with a really strong feeling. I think it's that. Um, infinity loop it's only after you buy the product that you want to advocate whereas if you come in and you get in the full brand experience and an authentic kind of real-life moment with that brand I think you're more likely to go and tell your friend I think as well on Brogan's slides um, speaking it was recommendations from your friends and family they're still the top forms of marketing and I think that word-of-mouth marketing for us is really what we want to tap into going forward because I do think that as we move more social commerce and everything's online, I think an experience is actually a luxury that the customer is going to want to buy into. And I think it's what's going to keep them coming back again and again.
3: How like how do you actually tactically drive that, leaning, leaning into it? It's all well and good having mm-hmm. a cool brand and a product that people like. Yeah. that that Those are sort of the baseline things that probably a lot of people in the room may not have control over. Mm. But what yeah. are the levers that you can pull that can make that just something you can really make effective?
2: I mean, I think it's all well and good having a really lovely aesthetic brand, but that is very shallow to be completely transparent. So I think you've got to add depth, and I think that you can do that without being able to have these massive experiences. When I say customer experience, it doesn't need to just be like a huge event. For example, we did a wine bar in Manchester, and all we did was put up logos and have some lip glosses. It was just a partner brand that we all go and drink at in Manchester, and we literally like, let's get together and do something fun. Um, But I think experiences across the board, like you can, all the way down to how the customer care team are answering emails. I think there's so many levers that you can pull both digital and in real life that are going to really elevate the customer experience i suppose even in the relevance of like doing these live commerce moments and tiktok shop it's how are you responding to that mm-hmm. customers comment and how are you giving them that authentic brand engagement as well digitally i think there's loads really the opportunities are endless and i think like some just give it a go i think just try it and see what sticks for your audience
3: camilla i mean mm. you've, also, you've you've got experience across a, a wide range of brands and and you know we've talked a lot about digital um, and social commerce from an online perspective. And Charlotte was referring to that experience, that offline piece. Like how are you seeing brick and mortars working, working within the beauty space to drive advocacy?
1: I mean, I think the the most important thing right now is the concept of robo, which, or I sort of say robo has probably got another acronym, but just <laughs> research online and buy offline is quite a big momentum in beauty. And that return, I hate to say return to stores post COVID, since it was so long ago, but there is still that huge impact. Um, People are using online, as we all know, as a search engine. I mean, TikTok has taken over Google in a lot of the audience categories as a search function. People are starting their journeys there. They're being inspired. They're also ending their journeys there in shopping or vice versa. It's that infinity loop that you Mm -hmm. talked about. the role of in-store is always going to be important. I can't see that going anywhere in beauty. You can't get that touch, feel, smell that you can quite get online. That being said, like what we were talking with live shopping earlier and sort of saying, can you help swatch that? Tell me what it sounds like. Tell me what it smells like. You can start to get that experience across. And brands, as we all know, are investing a ton of money into trying to solve for some of those friction points, whether it's shopping your uh, complexion products online and trying to use AI to figure out the right complexion product for you. Um, or fragrance brands now testing a sampling mechanic where you buy online you get it at home and you can then redeem that cost against the full price once you choose from a selection box of what you like so I guess in short I don't see the in-store piece disappearing it's just how do you integrate it and how do you have social commerce integrated into the store experience I mean I bought something on H&M this week and it was cheaper to get it dropped off at the local H&M then get it to my door I went in there they have the drop boxes I don't know if you've seen them where you like log in and the box pops open and then I did so much more damage shopping there whilst trying to find the boxes in the stores if there's anyone from h H&M and here. Um, so uh, that's just one example of just how I see um, bringing digital into store and vice versa pushing it back into the online experience.
4: I wanted to um, touch on affiliate marketing Hannah and I think um, again in terms of some of the things that were coming through, in terms of what people wanted to learn about today, was was this area? Um, I suppose with with LMS, um, how do you view the role of social affiliates in driving sales and brand advocacy?
0: Yeah, so it's something that's become really key to to our brand marketing um, over the past past year. I would say um, we launched our Elemis Skin Insiders program last year, and that was really born from a desire to we really wanted to mobilise our passionate social advocates who. They're there. They've, you know, our brand has been around for over thirty years, so there's a lot of brand love. Um, and we wanted to find those people who were on their tenth pot of Pro Collagen Cleansing Balm and were, <laughs> which is like, amazing,
4: by the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I and got they were, you know, at
0: Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> they were, you know, sharing with their network that they just used like the last scoop and they were really sad about it. And so we wanted to find the those people. The best bit. The first scoop is the best but the last scoop is the worst, yeah. so, you know, um, so we, we wanted to find them and then we wanted to really mobilize them into creating, into into a community that would be creating content for us um, in line with what they wanted to say about the brand. And I think the you know this this community for us now we lean on them to um, create trend-led content we got such great content over the summer um, during the obviously the barbie like the barbie summer the barbie renaissance um, creating amazing pink themed content that we then used across our social channels in email so allowed us to tap into a conversation that maybe seemed a little bit like not something that we'd naturally lean into as a brand but these um, creators were Able to create that content for us, and then we could use them in our social channels um, and across email. So that's been a really key content creation kind of machine for us to scale. Um, and then also from a sales perspective, we have been to be honest quite blown away by the um, conversion that these nano, micro influencers see. And you know they are they're trusted within their network, and they convert usually at a higher rate than our (laughs) macro partners. So it's formed this really kind of key part of our always on strategy. And now we're looking to kind of um, take that community like outside of the kind of the digital space, bring them into eventing. They're also kind of a bit of a go to community for like our product development team when they want to see insights and that kind of thing. So it's really being able to have this um, deeper relationship with a big community, I think we've got about 3,000 people within our Skinsiders community now, and also have that kind of one-on-one, almost, conversation with them. Um, so, because when it comes down to it with creators, um, it, is, it is all about relationships and relationship building, and you don't have time necessarily to send emails to all of those people. So um, this Skinsiders um, program has allowed us to kind of scale that um, nano and micro influencer engagement, which has been really great
4: charlotte just kind of going off a bit obviously bringing that community piece in mm. that was obviously a key focus with some of those activations that you were doing what which ones really stand out to you from last year um because it's not just as simple as obviously doing something in a wine bar mm. there's obviously a lot more to it but i just for mm. anyone that hasn't heard of any of these activations i just thought it
2: might be nice to yeah. share some of those well we did three last year that spring to mind so one was the studio which was actually a um, wellness space with a coffee kiosk at the bottom um and we ticketed pilates and yoga classes there more because we just wanted to meet our community we actually have a premium offering on the refi website um as well so we opened up the tickets to the premium customers in the uk before anyone else to just give them the opportunity to come and have a little bit of the refi lifestyle before anyone else um and then the coffee kiosk was open to everybody and anyone who came in could get a free Iced coffee or iced vanilla matcha and a free mini lip gloss. Um, and uh, the council actually got really annoyed with us in Soho because we actually didn't think the queues would be as big, but they were like three and a half hours just to get a coffee and a matcha. Um, the matcha, I mean, the matcha was great, but do you know what I mean? Like there was a Joe and the Juice around the corner. But no, and I think what was really nice about that was um, we actually did our first pop up as a brand in 2020 or 2021, right before I joined in the November. And that was a store. And I think we taken such a long period of time between then and now to do another pop-up that um, we learned a lot more about the changes within our customer base. I think that queue, that long queue, it gave us an opportunity to speak to them. I think what was really nice was a lot of the customers in the queue had seen some of the staff on social as well. So it got them to interact with staff in that way. So I really enjoyed that from a community building aspect. And we learned a lot more about our customer and how we'd evolved as a brand from their feedback. So it was really nice to get that in real life. And that's another reason we want to keep the kind of in real life experiences going because it gives the customer an opportunity to come and give that genuine feedback. Because some of it was like <coughs> bad feedback as well that we've taken to like product development and different bits and pieces. And we're using that to kind of steer where we're going. We did the wine bar in Manchester as well. And I actually think the best part about that was the biggest result was we got so many LinkedIn posts like so many LinkedIn posts, because all the girlies that go Man or Manchester Uni and do fashion marketing and all those graduate degrees just came and they just told us about how much they love what we were doing from a marketing point of view. And again, we got feedback about kind of our branding, our messaging, what we were saying and how we were talking to them and we could take that away. So that was really good. And we did a coffee shop up north in Manchester as well. Um, where all the girlies came out again that was after the Chanel show so it was quite a busy weekend there in Manchester (laughs) and got a couple of nice people down but yeah if I think for me the nicest part about that is that kind of customer engagement and then as you were saying it's those taking those brand advocates and trying to find a way to channel them into your marketing whether you just use it as a feedback loop like we are at the moment or you put them on an affiliate program and take it that one step further I think it's just really nice to kind of do that and I've seen a lot of people doing that actually after we did it but I don't know whether just because mm-hmm. I've seen that we did it I've seen it more <laughs> like I've never seen so many pop-ups at 19 Greek Street in Soho but if you're going to do one it's really good
3: <laughs> I recommend it
2: really great hosts
3: how are you processing all this feedback because you both both men- mentioned feedback is this just something that your team are just encouraged to scribble down on a note and then email over to someone. Have you, like, processized it? Do you have a, a kind of a, a Slack channel? I mean, this is going really tactical, yeah. but I'd love to know, like, how you how you guys go about it.
2: We don't have anything like that at the moment, but we are going to develop it off the basis of these, like, real-life experiences because it is so valuable to us. Because we're a beauty brand as well, we do have a testing community and a focus group community, but they're very northern-based because we're based in Manchester. Um, so we are trying to figure out a way to almost bring them together so we can kind of get that data into one place and really present a feedback loop but I do think what works really well if you don't have the opportunity to meet anyone in real life is just engaging with them on social but what works really well for us is the Q&A box on stories it's like so mm-hmm. simple but you can just ask a question and they immediately can answer that question and we can then send the feedback and down the line we can show them something we've developed based on a question that they've answered so there's so many ways that you can do it but we kind of want to merge it all into one place and within that maybe even bring in an affiliate platform as well mm-hmm. just because they are such lovers of the brand like this word of mouth friends and family thing I think people focus on the big influences and the relevant influence as these mega girls and i think what you're missing out is the actual true stan of the brand that you really could be working with and they love to be a part of it as well so why not bring them in a bit more
3: I've got some ideas on affiliate platforms as well but yeah we'll, we'll chat later i thought you might <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and hannah i mean h- how large is lms as an organization now
0: um global organization we've got offices in new york China, APAC, um, and then of course in London as well, and we have a Bristol office as well. So there's, there's lots of us, lots of us in, in the team. So in terms of our um, feedback into product development from social and influencers, we use our community management software, Amplify, which, and we have a tagging system and then literally just you know a meeting every month with our MPD team to ensure that we're making sure all of that is kind of flowing through, literally going through the insights and, and sharing it with them.
3: That's amazing. I wanted to 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 go back to you Camilla and talk about the that kind <laughs> of history as you've seen it yeah. being into advocacy since it was a thing before it was a thing actually uh, and we could never have sold out a room full of people to discuss advocacy um even 2 years ago let alone sort of 5 years ago like what do you think has changed in the in in the world in that time
1: We were just chatting about that answer and I think the the short answer, we just think everyone's late adopters to Mm. it and uh, Uh, the innovator (laughs) versus sort of imitator curve. But no, the truth is, I think it's partly, um, I think there's a few things going on. The first is for a long time, it was very hard to attribute and to add commercial success to the world of uh, social word of mouth in general, let alone social selling. Um, I mean, we were talking earlier with TikTok and, and talking about other elements where there's now attribution built on Meta, it's a dark hole. So mm. I think for now, right now, the huge commercial success, like the case study we heard earlier, like Made by Mitchells, who are doing two million a week on TikTok it's shop. That
2: much they're doing on TikTok um, shop. <laughs> And that's just one
1: example, of, like let alone the other programs, like what we were doing at Shark Tilbury through our Magic Makeup Stars program. Um... I think the the world uh, linking brand objectives with with commercial has to be the number one priority. I'm sure there's probably no one in this room that doesn't have a CEO breathing down your neck of how you can suddenly, uh, you know, drive the bottom line. So I think that's the the biggest piece.
3: Do, do you think that there's been? I uh, mean, we talked about the sort of switch in in brand attitudes and and we talked a lot today about like
1: control just let
3: relinquishing control being a huge part of it do you think there's been a change in the way that consumers consume um Mm -hmm. and what they want to buy because we often talk about which is what we want we're marketers this is what brands want but how do people on the other side want to buy yeah how do they want to sell because that's another part because actually these guys are now becoming the social sellers Mm -hmm. they're almost as important as anyone else you work with
1: i think trust is uh, for me trust is like the most key sort of theme that's going to come out of the next year which is how do we go back to the the OG way of word of mouth selling which is you got your recommendations from people you trusted they were your best friends they were your um your colleagues it was um you know and now they're your best friends and influencers but looking at that micro influencer space uh the rise of experts you know um who always had that credibility but, but some of them I'm talking I'm generalizing but it's not everyone you know take like facialists mm. they were quite slow to become creators on social channels yet the one people you should be talking to about what you're buying for your skin versus someone who's young and ineducated on even how the, the function of your skin works so i think the rise of how you look at your credible community base and then going back to how do you then create that community to be authentic and to have that trust piece um, and you talked about employees, like employees for me, it was an, in fact, I looked back earlier on my interview task to get the job at Chart Tilbury and the, sort of one of the first things I had on the first slide about how to help them drive growth was their own makeup artists. Like, how has it taken this long for us all to be thinking about using mm. our number one advocates? Charlotte's doing a brilliant job of it on LinkedIn if you'd like to follow her later. <laughs> As a, but you, you were saying about your, te- your, um, your yeah. customers talking to your team, like use the people around you and use your existing customers. What you said earlier, Paul, about um, uh, going through your CRM database and finding out who are your existing customers and how are they talking about you and start with those people. That's where the trust will start to mm evolve because the cost of mega influencers as Laura touched on earlier and we all know in this room is just extortionate don't always have the conversion Mm -hmm. um but also why should you have to use people the if you're a beauty brand you don't have to use the biggest beauty influencer in the world you might have the biggest impact from um I'm watching clearly a lot of new mum content on TikTok at four (laughs) in the morning right now but it might be someone who's got 300 followers but she's talking about something that's just really relevant to me in the moment and that trust comes across
3: Hey, it's me again. This podcast is sponsored by Dual, which is uh, my company, actually. Dual is the leading brand advocacy platform used by the top retail consumer brands, including Unilever, Charlotte Tilbury, Elemis, Loop, and about 50 more to manage, measure, and scale their advocacy, member, affiliate, creator, and brand ambassador operations. The platform offers unparalleled scale for complex brands. By automating 9 out of 10 of the standard advocacy management activities, and allowing them to focus on arming their advocates with the right tools to tell the brand story and drive social commerce, they can grow faster for less. We only work with 15% or so of the brands we speak to, but we try and add value in many other ways, this podcast being one of them. So if you are a brand that's interested in this, maybe a large consumer retail brand, ideally you're doing 20, $30 million as a minimum and you're pretty advanced on social and you need to know what the next stage is, then please get in touch. Email me, paul at dual.tech. That is P-A-U-L at D-U-E-L dot T-E-C-H or Google Dual Doc Tech.
4: I think um, I'm definitely been more drawn to the experts mm. these days and like the nutritionists. I mean, we were talking about this the other day. There's a nutritionist on Instagram and, you know, just... I know she's not like you know sort of skincare but I still trust what she's saying when it comes to her skincare because I know she really looks after herself and Mm. I'm definitely gravitating more to that in terms of like where I'm trusting the recommendations um Charlotte in terms of working with creators and obviously brands are starting to work with them throughout the whole funnel Mm. from awareness to consideration to conversion what have been the biggest goals for you guys over the last year?
2: so for us it was really just figuring out what worked because we were in a really privileged position because i think we were such like a hot new brand that we didn't have to really push for any coverage we just got it organically for maybe the first 18 months of being a brand which is fantastic but you can't really steer the conversation not necessarily steer the conversation but you can't get what you need out of that relationship so we spent the last year really trying everything that we could. We've paid big influencers, we've worked with a load of mid-tier influencers, we've worked with nano creators. Because I think for us, what we've focused on, our biggest goal was to get that product education piece across, as I think social proof is really important, especially in a world where everything is online, to kind of give you that trust that what they're buying is gonna do what it says on the tin. But even just more than that, like our products specifically are quite highly innovative. Like one comment we get all the time is, if anyone's ever used our brow sculpt, the extra brushes are in the lid. And like, you would be surprised extra there's extra bushes in the lid. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, so that's why I bought 10 of them. This is it. So like, is. so like, you can, the, the extra bushes are in the lid, but it's like surprising how many people still don't know that. So <laughs> I don't think you should tell people because you'll stop selling as so much. No, d- honestly, uh, we have to, we have to repeat it like so much. It's wild, especially because it's been, it was our first ever product. But um, that's by the by. But um, <laughs> the easiest way for us to communicate like where those brushes are is through working with creators. Because so for us, Product education has been the number one goal with creators and what we've been trying to do is figure out like what creators work best for that and the more we dig into it, it is more than nanos, it is more than micros because not only do they put the effort into their content because they have such trust with their audience because it is smaller and they do have time to engage with everyone and really build and strengthen that community but like they also like really care about making sure that everything's right and like speaking properly to the product and they want to grow as well so it's it sounds parasitic that they want to grow as well but it means that they're gonna like listen to all the advice that you give them to make sure that it's communicated effectively and everyone's using it properly and that's been number one for us like I think moving forward as well like just if I'm going to beat the drum of anything, it's just like, go for those smaller tier creators, the guys that really love your brand and they're going to do the best work for you, whether it's educating about your product or driving brand awareness, in my opinion.
4: I kind of feel sorry for some creators because they're kind of reaching a level where they've grown too much in in, in, in this authentic way and now they're not actually getting, like I'm seeing, particularly on threads, a lot of influence saying, I'm not getting work anymore. It's almost like I've grown too much. Mm. But you're right. I, you know, again sort of some of the, my friends in this space and they put so much time and effort into the content and it's mm-hmm. yeah and then they reach a certain point they're like well I can't grow anymore now but
1: you've got to divert yeah you can't it's like what I was saying earlier you, if you've got say the biggest beauty influencer they're saying a lipstick is the best lipstick every day Yeah, and mm-hmm. the best face cream mm-hmm. now not to say that as you say I think we've probably built up creators in a way that hasn't given them that, that longevity yeah. of that trust piece but uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest on the creator side trend in the next year will be the sort of bust of some of those large ones. And yep. certainly the bust of some of those brands coming up in. Not yours, don't worry. <laughs> not yours, don't <laughs> worry either. Nor Amy's, nor any other creators in this room. But the, there has been, uh, if you don't do it authentically, you can't just, you know, not everyone knows how to market a brand. Yeah. But mm-hmm. so
2: that's going <clears> you know? Yeah. slashing yeah like all those videos on tiktok and then you're like
0: god don't do a video of mine gonna like, <laughs> bit, but maybe that's going to be the next wave of just like instead of positives it's all going like,
1: mm. well, to be like negative but this comes back to community we were talking about um tube girl earlier yeah And i was like what happened to you favorite influencer <laughs> yeah like, she's my she, favorite i mean she was my favorite but where's she gone but she? The, and then we were talking about how she made some credible content that got people talking And God, she grows so fast, but she hasn't built a community to follow her. And you know, how do you create that long-term sustenance? So I think to your, like everyone, the, how do you build that around individuals?
2: Yeah. Do you know, I would say, sorry to interrupt, there's actually one larger scale creator that I think has seen that, Um, like almost grown too much and then not working with people that's had a bit of a resurgence later. I don't know if anyone follows Glamzilla. You might have seen the Laura Mercier video that she did of that. So she actually posted a video the other day saying she took herself off a load of PR lists because she didn't want to be that person that was going, I love this lipstick, Mm -hmm. I love this lipstick, I love this lipstick and she's buying everything herself authentically and it's seen her like grow massively so I do wonder whether there's going to be a trend or a spike of these kind of mega influencers kind of swaying towards like kind of foregoing the payment for that trust and credibility
1: i'm not saying we suddenly have to get the creators yeah. suddenly buying all of our brands and talking about it in that way that would be lovely but there's something where they're mm. trying to prove their trust of what they're yeah. shopping what they're buying and what they not just as much as gifting i mean i will bang till the drum for gifting free gifting till the cows come home that's what i built what we built most of these brands with mm. it's got to be the base of everything you do that being said a lot of people do get things and then that mm. sort of relationship doesn't yeah. fly off the back
4: of it I mean, Hannah, what have been some of your tactics and strategies in terms of working with creators and leveraging that content for LMS?
0: Yeah, I think for us, it's really been about like nailing the briefing process. So being really clear with the creator about like what our goals are with that particular collaboration um, so for us we kind of like bucket it into like is this a content collaboration is it for conversation or is it for conversion so making it really clear to the creator you know it's a partnership and we want to make sure that they are set up for success um, and then really changing that kind of briefing process dependent on on the goal so with a content partnership we would be much more prescriptive maybe we want content for a trend or we're working with an expert and we really want their particular expertise and take on an ingredient or a facial massage move, or something like that. So we'll include like mood boards, maybe a storyboard. So be super, super prescriptive with that kind of um, output in mind. But then, like when we're looking for just kind of conversations, so we're looking for awareness and engagement, um, we can be much more open. And that's really where we want the creator to kind of come to us and wrap their like tone of voice, their creative flair um, around our key message, and you know push it to their audience. And that's really where we're going to see. Where we do see the most success so like for instance we had um the launch of our a limited edition of our pro collagen cleansing balm we brought out a green fig version it was stunning um and we worked with this sfx creator holly murray and we were telling her about the product and she was like I'm gonna turn myself into a giant fig and then I'm gonna t- <laughs> take it off with cleansing balm. And she did. And it got like 1.8 million views across Instagram and TikTok because it was weird. It was wonderful. Yeah. It fits seamlessly with her content while showing like our product efficacy. So, that kind of thing where we can give the creator that freedom mm. to. Mm to wrap our message in a way that's going to work really well for them. That's like, that's our ideal kind of scenario. But then if we do have a very specific like creative execution kind of in mind with a creator, we make sure that we're personalizing that brief. So making sure we're pulling out like three to five pieces of content that our product would have fit seamlessly in that's already on their page. And if you can't find that content easily, then they're probably not the right fit for that, um, that particular campaign. And then when it comes to conversion briefs where, we you know, really pushing sales so this is always the you know the collaborations that like our internal teams are most interested in um we have kind of really looked and deep dived into you know what kind of creative execution really leads to that conversion and we were sort of very clear a clear um answer there and kind of have this success formula now of it's people demoing the product, usually in their bathroom, chatting to camera, which is really obvious. It's, you know, really marrying up that like product efficacy. So you're seeing the product in use, but then also getting that really real review and that kind of advocacy and authenticity. Um, so it feels like, you know, a friend on FaceTime and that's what leads to that kind of high conversion. And it's not always that we'll get high conversion off the back of that kind of creative, but all of our top conversions have been with that kind of creative which is really interesting to see and then so you know making sure we're just being super clear with the creator what we want from them um, and making sure that briefing process is is really clear.
3: It it seems it's the two worlds where you've got the brand marketing piece and the PR world and then you've got performance coming in with the affiliate world they've kind of collided recently Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we see a lot of this with who who runs LTK in an organisation is the question yeah. that people have to ask because no one knows who, where it sits. But actually, what you're saying there is then there is then that kind of divide when okay, well, you're going to make some amazing content. It's going to be a bit weird, but it's going to get and you you also come ready made with reach as well as the the creation yeah. of it. But that's so different to what you're talking about performance, and they're 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 very confused. Do you, I mean, do you see this? As a trend do you think that brand and performance teams should be all one there should be a community team like who's who's doing this really well because it makes my brain hurt a little bit
1: it, it makes my brain hurt and i do not get living trying to help brands figure it out and the truth is there isn't my view is um my humble opinion is that there's no one one solution it depends the, the lifestyle of your brand where you're at the size of your teams what you can invest in people going forward etc however the, most, the best examples I've seen is where you've integrated that thinking. It doesn't mean you have to put all the performance marketing with all the brand marketing, mm. so that's just not going to work. But certainly when it comes to thinking about the world of social advocacy, the owned, earned, paid flywheel, there's got to be either a team that's all defined as to how that works together or a really clear process to be able to be successful. Otherwise, you're all just going to be wasting, be busy fools as many people could describe and all be focusing on different things that aren't impactful that don't collaborate together and more importantly as a customer you're one person and you're seeing the ads you're seeing the brand's page you're seeing the founder's page you're seeing the creator it's got to feel integrated into what you're working on if it's if one's running a campaign on one topic and one's running something on something else as one example you're just going to have real inauthenticity
4: with your connection
1: there
3: Amazing, Great response. Should we go to mum's iPad for a few final questions?
4: I feel like Yasso have been asking a lot of questions on here. There's a lot about China. I don't okay. know if that's just a coincidence. <laughs> um, Hannah, did any of the China talk ring true to what you are doing in the UK?
0: I think that we have some very interesting things to explore this year in terms of the live shopping, live streaming. Um, for us as a brand We were born on QVC pretty much. That's still actually a huge part of our business. Um, We see incredible sales and actually an incredibly well-engaged, well-educated community come through from our TV shopping arm. Um, So for us, we would love to be able to translate that into a UK TikTok live, whatever that is, bringing that expertise and the expert voices. Um, So yeah, that's something that we're kind of looking into for this year.
4: And Charlotte, do you see an online sales spike during your offline executions and if so, to what scale?
2: Do you know what? It really depends on whether we're selling product or not at the um, events. So when we did the, um, the studio, for example, we were selling product at the same time. So we didn't necessarily see it, I suppose, from London itself. But we did see a lot more traffic to the website when we did it. Um, And then if we're not selling product, we actually do see a spike. We see a lot of a spike from that particular place as well, where the people that are at the event are, like, often, like, going, oh, I'm here and I love this lip gloss, I might try something else. So we do try and make it quite seamless that they can easily access, like, the website or there's a QR code or something, um, but we keep it aspirational so it's not just QR codes everywhere so that the customer can easily kind of go online and browse as well because we don't want to take that shopping experience away from them where there's nothing available for them to touch, feel or try. So
1: You're going to get the loyalty as well from those moments. Like I think yeah. in those, it's there's a lot of obsession, I think, with trying to see immediate impact from mm. one moment. And in many times there will be that one moment, but the long-term loyalty you generate from moments like that, whether it's an influencer initiative, a community, um, whatever it might be, them coming back to you time and time again will give you that commercial success, success mm. because you'll get the repeats.
2: Mm. And I think after. as well, it depends on like the KPIs for that event. Like I don't think any of the ones that we've done, we've actually had an objective to increase sales or sell. It's always been about engaging then and there with the customer. Usually, social reach, impressions through press. Like it's never about the hard sell for us when we do those events. For us, it's really about that experience. And I think because it isn't about the hard sell, the customer kind of likes us more. Mm-hmm. So. It really does depend, but yeah.
4: Um, Camilla, this might be a good one for you. Yes, um, great question. Great. If you are a smaller brand, would you recommend focusing on community building or influencer marketing to help scale? Can I, have they written either or, like build it, community building or influencer marketing? So
1: I'm not going to show up whoever wrote that. This is it is, but I, they're one and the same to me like i think the i guess it's semantics of how you describe it but Mm. your community is made up of people who are different types of people but focusing on building community i think if you're a small brand and you're starting off um you don't want to do too many things and spread yourself too thin but you do need to test and learn so i would run a number of initiatives that target different groups within that community from your employees, to your custom existing customers, to micro-influencers, to mid-tier gifting programmes, whatever it might be, and start testing those uh, initiatives, learning very quickly. Because um, I think we're all looking for, like, what is that um, silver bullet to be able to answer all our problems? The reality is it doesn't exist, that works for everyone. What, you know, you could try and do what Refai are doing or try and do what Chart Tilbury are doing or Rare or or LMS or Mallows. And, it won't necessarily just work, you've got to find your way of doing it. So mm. I would just start testing. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure to spend a lot of money. I don't think you have to. I think you can test it with, um, you can make WhatsApp groups. Although <laughs> <laughs> I run a WhatsApp community and I already feel the headache that you might've
4: had through that. Um, but you know, start small,
1: test, test it on 10 people, test it on 20 people.
4: I think that's the great thing about this industry. Testing is, you've got to test, you've got to yeah. experiment. So it's a great And answer. I think
1: the, um, going back to trends, I think for the future, I, we're all creators. Even if you're someone that's not super comfortable sharing a lot on social media publicly, you are a creator in yourself. Um, and I think the rise of dark social and how we attribute to what's going on on WhatsApp and word of mouth conversations, etc., has to be the solve for the next couple of years as well. because. Um, you know, I think there's a you know, a lot of people are starting to go private on certain channels yeah. like Instagram, so it's hard for brands to communicate that. TikTok's obviously the opposite, you're very public and you can start with nothing and, and achieve a lot quickly.
3: Incredible. But we
4: are over time.
3: We yeah. are. Thank you so much to Charlotte, Camilla and Hannah. That was amazing. That was so, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was another episode of Building Brand Advocacy, the world's top brand building podcast find out more about building brand advocacy and how this podcast is part of a bigger plan for our brand building cookbook then make sure to search for building brand advocacy in apple podcasts spotify google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are fine and make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes thanks to jewel for sponsoring to find out more go to www.duel.tech that's D-U-E-L. T-E-C-H. and on behalf of the team here at building brand advocacy thanks for listening